Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. What's happening, everybody? It's Saturday. Man, I love Saturdays. You know why I like this Saturday? College football. Yeah, yeah, yeah that too. Um, our men's Bible study kicks men's out today, Men's Bible man. study North today. Compass, North Texas, MBS. Men's Bible study. And we've yeah. got like a thousand people more signups than the women did. We did. Boom. Crushed Get it. Get out of here, ladies. And they're like, well, you had an extra week. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, yeah but. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We were already winning even before we took the extra week. They didn't even know it was a competition. It was a victory lap. They didn't know it was a competition. Was. It's funny because the guys make everything a competition. The girls are like, I don't care. Right. It's What's funny? Ten, five years from now, when the when the women's ministry is like five thousand people, and ours is twelve thousand, twelve thousand. Yeah. Yes, it's still going to be a competition. It will. It will. No, but we, uh, my wife and I have talked about this recently, and and this is a good thing, right? And we joke about the competition, but men, we, we want this pattern to excel still more All in day, the church every day. And it's not because we look at our ladies and say our ladies aren't doing it. We want to look at the men and say, man, our men are are killing it, and that's so crucial to the health of our church. Yeah, you have strong men, you're gonna have a strong church. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's one of our motivations for doing men's Bible study. I mean, why are we doing men's Bible study? We're a church plant after all. We've we've already got so much on our plate right now just doing church. It's true. Here we are adding a separate thing like men's Bible study. Why are we doing this? Well, we're doing this because we believe in investing in men, because we believe in having strong families that are led by strong men who love Jesus. And so that's, that's our heart. That's our goal. That's our drive. We're going to be doing the, the fruit of the spirit, uh, this year, pastor Rod, you're going to be preaching Brody. Yep. Um, so that's going to be awesome. I'm excited about it. Already excited. And we're going to do a Christmas brisket in December. Otherwise known as Crisket. Crisket. Yep. So hey, if you're in California listening to this and you're like, how do I take part of this Crisket? All you got to do is move to North Texas right. and join our church. Yep. Period. Yep. We've got realtors. Reach out to us today. We can put you in touch with them and we can That's make it happen. Right. Tr- Trisha Ramos would be happy to take your information. Lene Brasenio would Brisenio be happy to would take, be happy your, to take information. your information as well. And we have people. We have people. We have more people, I'm sure. We do. Yep. Yeah. So, hey, you should uh, make it a point and, uh, and potentially pray about moving out here to join us at Compass North Texas. We're looking at you. Say, hey, we are. We're looking at we you, are. buddy. We, we saw are. your text. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Miss Miss Headley, listening to this as well. That's true. Yep. Yeah. A couple I, of people. I think there's uh, some we, more. We know there's some maybe. Hollies, if you guys are out there listening to this, I mean, a PM. We're, we're not. We're not serious. So please don't. Uh, don't call us out. If he wants to come too, that's fine too. <laughs> we do have a youth ministry position open for Pastor Mike. If he we really do. wants to do this. Hey, we didn't uh, first though. Happy birthday to a couple people today. That's right. It's uh, we got on the docket here. It's uh, Ezekiel, Ezekiel Kim. Kim. Ezekiel, you're eleven, buddy. He probably 11. doesn't listen to this. What is it? That's once in Spanish. Uh, Come on. Yes. <laughs> yes, I think it's once, uh, which has nothing to do with anything. But it's eleven years old. Eleven. That's a big deal. It's a big deal. He's got a couple years before he's a teenager. Mm-hmm. There you go. Hey, Abram and Lillian, you have two more years until you got a teenager on your hands. Whew. How you feel about that? Bring it on. That's yeah. what they say. Bring it on. Yeah. And then, but not just Ezekiel Kim. We've got Theodore Dragonus or Dragonus. Teddy? Do they call him Teddy? I don't know if they call him Teddy. Or Theo or. Uh, yeah, I said Theo. That's yeah. the first one I said. Yeah. Yeah. Th- which is cool. Uh, Theo is such a good name. At a whopping a, seven. I love it. Seven years old. Seven is the number of completion That's in the right. Bible. So he's done with life. Yep. Well, let's hope not. <laughs> he's We're graduated. Cr- he's done. Well, he's. 
He's at a good number. Let's just put it that way. He's, He's at a good number. number. Hey, uh, take your Bibles and let's uh, dive into the Word of God together this morning or whenever you're listening to this. Isaiah chapter 19, 19, 20, and 21. And remember, we're in this section where God is flexing over the so- his sovereignty over the, the nations, reminding people, reminding Judah, reminding the southern kingdom as the northern kingdom is going to fall to Assyria. Assyria is on the scene. The southern kingdom might be tempted to turn to these other nations for help against Assyria. He's reminding them through Isaiah the prophet, trust in me. Don't turn to these other nations. And the nation that is, was one of the greatest temptations to uh, to to uh, lure and draw uh, Judah away was this next nation that we come to in Isaiah 19, and that is the nation of Egypt. Uh, Egypt was a, another big player on the scene uh, for so long, and, and certainly at this time as well. And because Egypt was such a big temptation for uh, Judah to, to create an alliance with and, and to trust in, uh, God through Isaiah was saying, hey, look, look this is what's going to happen to Egypt. Um, just a, a good reminder uh, of, of God's sovereignty, as, as Daniel would put it, that, that he installs kings and he removes kings. He sets up kingdoms and he tears down kingdoms. And that's what we're seeing throughout these chapters. Um, as he details the, the religious collapse of Egypt in verse 3 and 4, he delivers the econ- uh, talks about the economic collapse of Egypt over in verses 5 and 6 with the, the Nile River, their main source of, of economic development and agriculture just drying up. Uh, the political collapse of Egypt in verse 11 that he, the wisest of counselors give him stupid counsel hmm, that's fine. Uh, in verse 11 and uh, in verse 13 the those who are the cornerstones of her tribes have made Egypt stagger so this is God just turning Egypt upside down on his head right which is amazing uh, for lots of reasons that they would even be interested in going back to Egypt I mean they, they, they held them in slavery yeah they, uh, it's like well, why would you go back to that one who beat you and abused you right um, I, I don't know I don't, I don't Stockholm get syndrome that. exactly exactly but nevertheless, what fascinates me is how this chapter ends. Yeah, what the second on half. earth yeah. is happening here? Yeah, yeah, and and I think the 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 vision gets cast from the imminent to the to the future here. Oh, it's got to be. Yeah. yeah, and this is like part of the future. The the gathering of the nations. This is part of the the nations coming to pay tribute to the God of Israel. This is part of the the scene. I think that we see in the, the millennial kingdom as well. And so I think that's what what the view is here. And Egypt is turned around so that it becomes a place where God is worshipped. There's an altar built in the midst of Egypt. Crazy. In fact, right there in verses 19 through 22, we see five things that, that mark uh, Egypt's revival here. There's an altar to the Lord. They're praying to God and seeking him. They're, they're receiving revelation from the Lord. And in other words, they're understanding him through the written word or, or through whatever the revelation will look like at, at that point as the word. Remember, the, the law is going to go forth from Jerusalem. People are going to flock to Jerusalem and that's where the law of the Lord is going to go out because the Lord will be there. There's also fourth worship that's taking place here. They're worshiping the God of Israel. Think about that. All the faults. Remember the Ten Commandments? The the, the Ten Commandments. The plagues of Egypt. Remember the plagues? The plagues were aimed at these false gods that Egypt would worship and that Egypt would idolize. Now, in the future, they're going to be worshiping the true God, the one true God. And then there's also, note this, did you catch this? The discipline of God. The discipline of God because God disciplines the son he loves. Mm. And so even as God judges, striking them and healing them in verse 22, they're going to return to the Lord and he's going to listen to their pleas and heal them. 
Yeah, so it's important as you're reading the scriptures here, there's not any indication between verse 15 and verse 16 that tells us, hey, by the way, this is the millennial kingdom. Right. We're getting there because what we see is, I mean, we see a market change in Egypt's status with Israel, but you also have some textual markers too. So you notice in verse 16, 18, 19, 23, 24, there's a, there's a word there. There's a couple words there. It says in that day. It gives us a, a marker of sorts to tell us, hey, this is, a, this is different than what I was just talking about. Yep. Uh, Isaiah is telling them where they're currently at, the status as they exist in that time. But it says there's a day coming in that day. Here's what to expect. So the, it's, a, it's a small thing, but that repetition should highlight to you, oh, there's something different happening here. There's an in that day, a, a day yet future. So keep an eye out for things like that. That'll be helpful as you interpret the scriptures. That is helpful. And, and one of the things we, we talked about yesterday, some reasons why people don't read the word, maybe prioritization, time, busyness. I think another reason is we can get discouraged when we read and it's like, okay, I, I don't understand. Most I, of this. I don't understand it. Right. But yeah. there's a, a doctrine that we refer to called the perspicuity of scripture and the perspicuity of scripture means that the the bible is understandable that it's it's plain enough that we can read it and comprehend it and understand it so what does that mean does that mean i'm going to understand everything that i read in the bible no in fact the the new testament authors would would argue against that and say that they had trouble was it peter to paul or paul to peter i I always get this inverse when they said that there's difficult things i think it was peter writing about paul that's right there's difficult things in paul for us to understand but it's plain enough for us to read it and, and comprehend the indicative statements or the imperative statements or the, the questions that are being asked. And so here, when you're reading a passage like this, it's not that you should be expected to understand, like Pastor Rod was saying, oh, this is clearly talking about the millennial kingdom here. But to notice a shift here and to read the first half and say, okay, God is judging Egypt. And then in the second half, wait a minute, God's no longer judging Egypt. Mm-hmm. The perspicuity of scripture is such that that would, would tell us that, that we can read that and understand there was a shift that took place. Then we are left to say, how do we understand what's going on here? And that's where we've recommended a couple of resources in the past to help with that. Um, the Bible knowledge commentary can be helpful with that. The faith life study Bible can be helpful with that. Uh, the, uh, the MacArthur single volume Bible commentary can be helpful with that. These are good resources so that when you read it and you can see and observe, okay, there's a shift here. What happened? These are some other resources then to go to, to say, okay, let, let me try to understand through going to this commentary, going to this other help. Right. And, and uh, one pastor, I don't know who said it first, but he, someone said the, the main things are the plain things and the plain things are the main things. Yeah. Not everything good. is equally alike in its clarity, uh, to loosely quote the Westminster confession of faith, but the things that matter pertain to our salvation. Those things are clear and easily understood, or at least comprehended with, uh, with a degree of minimal effort. That said, I, I guess some of you guys might look at Pastor PJ and myself and say, wow, I don't know if I'll ever be there. They seem to know so much. Guys, we are using so many tools. We, yes. We, I mean, we're seminary trained and we have so many tools that we're utilizing to, to give us understanding of what we're doing here. The Bible is not, uh, the Bible is not a, a simple book. No. Uh, it is, it is challenging and there's so many things that go into reading it well. Um, the art of interpretation is, is really an art and a science. There's yeah. scientific, uh, parameters that we could give you. Uh, but there's also an art form in interpret interpreting and interpreting faithfully and carefully and 
um, to do justice to the text. So don't lose hope. Stay in it. Anything that you want to do well takes time and effort, and it's worth your time and effort. It is. And, and also, be encouraged. We're not asking you to preach on these passages from the daily Bible reading. And so if it's your goal to say, okay, I'm going to do the reading, and I'm going to pray before I do the reading, because do that. That's a huge part of this, too, is praying that God, through the Spirit, would help you and give you this. The concept is illumination, that we would be able to, to understand what's being communicated in the scriptures. And so pray that before you sit down with your Bibles, pray that God would help you to understand these things. Pray that God would, would give you the, the, the insight into these truths and, and make it your goal maybe to walk away with one thing. What's one thing when you sit down with the, the word today that you can walk away and chew on that thing and meditate on that truth? Or this is one point of application that I'm looking for. You don't have to be able to explain everything that you read, but if you can walk away with, I'm going, this is one thing that I feel like was clear to me today. Mm-hmm. And I want to focus on this one thing today. That would be a win for us when it comes to the DBR time. One small tip, chase your curiosities. Yes. If there's something that stands out to you, that's probably the spirit working on you. Go chase it. Yeah. Go figure it out. Go get your study Bible out. Go do Go read the article about it in a reputable source. Uh, follow your curiosities. Yeah. Pull the thread. If you've ever got that loose thread on your clothes yeah. and you get to pull it and then it just starts unraveling. Yeah. If you want to destroy my sweater. Keep pulling. Pull the thread as pull I Pull the thread. Away. Yeah. Pull the thread. All right. Well, hey, chapter 20, then we get into uh, a, a, the, this is weird, bro. It, it's 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 odd. I think you should try this for your next series. <laughs> no, no, no. For three years, bro. I want you no. to preach. What do you think I was going to say? I was yeah. going to say barefoot. Yeah, sure you were. <laughs> so, I mean, Isaiah's got to do some weird things. Eventually, he's laying on his side too. I mean, not here, but but down the road. Like Isaiah does really strange, bizarre things. Um, and here he's walking around without any clothes on, without any shoes on, as an object lesson. <laughs> basically to, to show what was going to happen to the captives of Cush in Egypt so that the people could recognize that. Yeah. I don't want to trust in them. Okay. So, so we, we got to We got to camp on this for a second here. We would today look at churches that do some outrageous things to tr- and attract a crowd. And we would say that's probably wrong. Uh, shouldn't uh, do some of these things. Um, you shouldn't tr- make church a circus or a spectacle. But yet they could look at Isaiah 20 and say, well, look at what Isaiah did. Isaiah does some outrageous things, things that no, we would say today, if someone did this, hey, right. that's wrong, bro. Put, put your shoes on, put your clothes on. We don't need to see all that. Right. And yet God commissions Isaiah to do this. How do we reconcile those two competing desires? Well, first off, I, let me correct my snafu. Those of you that are yelling at your your podcast and Pastor Rod too. Uh, it was Ezekiel that laid on his side, not Isaiah. You know so, what? We all make mistakes. Yeah. Let me go back. We all get our I, was, I was, the words were coming out of my mouth going, that's not right. Our merds get wixed up on yep. occasion. That was Ezekiel. Anyways. Why, okay. What do we do with this? Uh, number one, Isaiah was commissioned by God to do this directly. Uh, you and I have not been commissioned by God to do anything like this. This is not something like that, he has. I don't think he has. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to say that, that, that there's this pun that goes around right now. If you want to hear God speak, read the Bible out loud. Yeah. Right. Like that's, that's the audible revelation that we're getting from God. Right. We have, and, and we believe in the sufficiency of scripture. We have the fullness of God's revelation contained in the pages of the Bible. So I'm not going to receive this audible message from him. That's going to tell me to do something outrageous. Um, and, and, and on top of that, any message that we do receive or feel like we're getting the Holy spirit placing conviction on our heart or anything like that needs to be measured up to scripture and make sure that, Scripture is the the primary guide there and not what we feel like our our innards are leading us to do. So I I think there's room for creativity 
And I think we should be creative. That's part of our image of God, uh, that, that he created us as his image bearers to be creative. And I think there are creative ways for us to package different things. Mm. But we also need to make, need to make sure that the, the main thing remains the main thing. And sometimes I've seen pastors' displays of creativity cross a line to where people leave and the thing that they leave remembering or the thing that they leave talking about is the object lesson and not the, the Bible lesson. And when we've done that, we've robbed the Bible of its place in the service. And so it's a fine line. It's a balance. And, and admittedly, I think I probably err too much on the conservative side than, than the creative side of things. I do not naked and barefoot. Yep. Yep. Everybody is. Appreciate that. Um, but I, I think there's room for probably some more creativity. And, uh, and we, we do think about that because we want to, to worship God through our creativity, but we also want to be effective in reaching people. Yeah. I would, I would hammer on the fact that Isaiah was a prophet. He was a commissioned prophet of God. Right. When you have an Isaiah six experience, then come at me with your naked bear witness <laughs> until then. Don't don't just text him. Just be like, Hey, I had an Isaiah experience. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll just say, I, I, yeah, that he's a prophet. He has a, a very unique place and, and got to your point. God specifically directs him to do these things. Whereas today, yeah, that's not the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So when we get to Ezekiel who lays on his side, same, same concept there, but with Isaiah, yeah, we're not, we're not going to be doing, he's cooking food over the, well, okay, we'll get to that. Yeah. The Ezekiel bread. Have you seen that at the store? That makes me laugh so hard. You you didn't do it that way. Well, God did give a concession. He did, he did fight back and God said, okay, you don't have to do that. Yeah. But the concession still wasn't all that great. I mean, still, right. Right. So there was some space anyways. Hey, uh, that's some, some bait for you guys to, to tune in when we get to Ezekiel. Uh, anyways, in chapter 20, what's he doing? He's, he's illustrating what's going to happen to Egypt and Cush. And again, why? Because he's reminding the Southern kingdom, don't trust these people. Don't put your hope there. Don't put your confidence there. This is what's going to happen to them. Chapter 21, then we get to Babylon. And this is, this is one that, that is, uh, presents its own interpretive challenges. Yes, it does. Because when we think of Babylon, we most often run to Daniel. We think of that Babylon. And we think of uh, the the situation described here maybe is describing that, that that fall, that Babylon would fall and they would fall to the Medes and the Persian. In fact, he even mentions the Medes here when he mentions media in the in uh, verse two. However, this is where we have to do some digging here because I, I don't think my conviction is not that this is referring to uh, Babylon under the reign of Nebuchadnezzar and others, but this is a reference to Babylon as it was during this time when Assyria was on its rampage, um, that this is the Babylon that ultimately met its uh, destruction, not its permanent destruction, but a destruction in 689 BC. So again, as we're talking about the context, the fall of the Northern tribes in what year again? 722. 722 BC. Assyria is on a rampage. Babylon was there on the scene. There was some temptation. Maybe Babylon could be involved in this. And I think what Isaiah is doing, what God is doing is reminding the people, hey, don't trust in Babylon either. One of the reasons why I don't think this is pointing forward to the Babylon of Nebuchadnezzar is when you look at chapter 21, verse two, it says, go up, O Elam. Okay. Elam was a region during this time that did exist, but by 646 BC, Elam was no longer in existence. Mm. So if this is looking forward to the destruction of Babylon under the Medes and the Persians in the future that took place long after 646, then we've got a problem because Elam wasn't even around. They weren't on the world map at that time. Yeah, there's some challenges there. I want to point out in verse three, notice again, Isaiah's response. It looks a lot like God's response. My loins are filled with anguish. Yeah. Pangs have seized me like the pangs of a woman in labor. Uh, Paul uses some of that same analogy in Galatians chapter four. Um, So Isaiah's here, I'm bowed down so that I cannot hear. I'm dismayed. I cannot see. My heart staggers. Horror has appalled me. The twilight I long for has turned, turned from me into trembling. Isaiah is wrecked. And, and I guess one point I wanted to make with this is I, 
man, guys, all around us, there are people living in Babylon. All around us, yep. there are people in the kingdom that stands opposed to God and their end is judgment. And we don't know when that is. Yep. I feel a certain sense of conviction, man, I want to feel this. There are times, moments in my spiritual life where I do, feel, I do feel some of that, that compunction, that sense of, oh, my neighbors are going to hell. They're part of Babylon's kingdom and Babylon is going to hell in a handbasket. Lord, let me feel that. And I want you to pray. If you're part of our church, please pray that God would give you a burden, a burden for the lost, those who are still part of Babylon. Uh, obviously, air quotes here. We're not talking about literal, but the, the, the metaphor for what Babylon represents, all that stands against God. May you be like Isaiah. Let your loins be filled with anguish. And even verse nine it points to that same concept because this verse in verse nine, fallen, fallen is Babylon. That's picked up in Romans eight or Revelation rather, 18. Two. Uh, in Revelation 18.2, that's applied to the, the future Babylon, Neo-Babylon, that is the world system that's going to ultimately be gathered right. against the Lord and against his anointed in the, in the end times. And that's that's the con- we're living in the, the the precursor towards that right now and uh, so yeah the, the the dismay the heartbreak is is appropriate pray uh, for that and uh, yeah yeah ask the Lord to break your heart right there's that that uh, destroy you what's that the song had break your heart for what breaks mine Open. oh that's the Hillsong song um, yeah break your heart no, exactly. break my heart for what breaks your everything I am for your kingdom yeah yeah what yeah, is yeah. It? It's As I walk from earth into eternity. eternity. Hosanna. 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 There it is. Yeah. That's the one. Which that means is. come Lord Jesus, right? That's right. Um, so, yeah, th- that concept, or even the, I, I've, Matt, uh, there's another, one of the Matt guys has a song, Give Me Your Eyes for Just One <laughs> Second, um, is the line there. And it's a, it's a simple line. It's kind of a poppy song, but Give Me Your Eyes for Just One Second. Give Me Your Eyes so I can see everything that I've been missing. Give Me Your Heart for Eternity. Um, and he's talking about the, the souls all around us that we don't see that are going to hell and uh, that invitation to Lord, help me to see as you want me to see. Right. The Oracle concerning, concerning Duma um, is another confusing, <laughs> admittedly, section in here. Uh, Duma can mean silence or Duma might refer to Edom, a region uh, nearby here. But really what this is saying is, okay, so when is the light coming, Isaiah? Then when is this all going to be uh, diminished? When is, when is the tension going to be done? When is this going to be resolved? And the answer is not yet. We don't know. Not the, yet. The light will come, but then there's going to be more darkness. Hang on to it. And so we wait. Um, and the chapter ends with even more people from Arabia, the fugitives that are fleeing from what's going on at the time. So Isaiah is reminding Judah, this is not the time to be trusting in these other nations because God is ultimately the sovereign one over all of them. It's like being on a roller coaster. I don't know about you. I'm not, I'm not a big roller coaster fan anymore. Used to be. But I remember getting on a roller coaster where I, I was terrified. Like I, I want this thing to end. And, you know, roller coasters go pretty quickly. But in yep. a moment, it's like, this is awful. I want to get off. And it feels like forever. I feel like that's kind of how these guys are, are going to feel. At least that's how Isaiah is presenting it. At some, some point, you're going to feel like, this is awful. I want to get off this roller coaster. And God is saying, not yet. Yeah. I'm not done yet. Yeah. Hang tight. Ephesians 2. And we are we are, we are going long on this one. Oh, man. Here we go. All right. All right. Ephesians 2 quick. Yep. So, by grace, you've been saved through faith. But God. <laughs> Period. All right. Let's go. All right done no but but it is the great gospel presentation there at the beginning here's who you were here's what god did Mm -hmm. right um speak to that you were about to say something you just covered this recently or you are are you in chapter two Uh, yeah we just finished uh two one through ten last night cool perfect that's talk to us 
Uh, okay, so really quickly here, uh, Paul's continuing on this thought here about the church that he's, he's talking to, the, the church in Ephesus. Uh, church in Ephesus, or the, the city of Ephesus, was about 250,000 people at its height, and that's probably about what, what we're looking at at this point in time. He's now talking to the church there, the, not the, the church that he establishes back in Acts chapter 19. They're growing. There's people part of this church now that he doesn't know, but here's what he does know about them. Everybody starts from this this negative place. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And Paul says, look, uh, you were not attractive. You're unworthy. You're ugly in God's sights. You don't have a leg to stand on. You're, you're opposed to God, but God, verse four, the, God changes everything. But before you get to verse four, really feel verses one through three. I mean, so much today we're working with uh, we're working with people that are really into self affirmations. I love me. I'm perfect just the way I am. I am powerful. I am, I am, I'm wonderful. It's not what Ephesians two says. It's not what Ephesians two says. And it's so frustrating because our world is is they're they're trying so hard to feed that gaping hole in their soul. When God right here is offering us, here's the solution. You're broken, irreparably broken, but here's a solution. So God steps in, changes everything. Literally, he sends you from death into life. You were dead, but now you're alive together with Christ. And now you're his workmanship. No one can boast because of all that he's done. Now go, therefore, in the new identity and do good works because of what he's done for you. He's prepared good works for you right. from eternity past. Right. And I know that's a debate in this passage of, of okay, it, see, it's, it's grace alone. It's not my works alone, right? None, yeah. But the trans- Transformation that takes place between verses one through three, and then what happens in verse four. If, in fact, the thing that, that hit me this time in studying this is, is verse three, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. It, it, that's enslavement to sin. What your mind thinks it wants, what your body wants, you just go do it. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like slavery because you feel like you're in control. You feel like I'm doing what I want to do. I'm doing what makes me happy. I'm, I'm doing my what, decisions, right? what makes me feel good. And yet you're enslaved to these things. What changes all of a sudden is not that your, your mind and your body don't have sinful desires. They, they still do, right? But now in Christ, you're set free from that so that you don't have to obey them. You have the power not to sin. Exactly. You have the power to say to your, your body, that's self-control, telling yourself no, right? And that's a fruit of the spirit that, that emerges because of the gift that we have, the new life that we have in Christ. Now we can say to ourselves, no, I don't want it. I don't want it. Lots of people exercise self-control. There's books out there that tell you how to develop self-control, how to build good habits. We're not talking about that. These are God-motivated, Christ-glorifying habits birthed by the Spirit of God. Going back to Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, he produces self-control. We exercise godly habits and self-control, not for our own self-aggrandizement or for our own promotion. We're doing it because we love Christ and we want to bring honor to him in his new kingdom. For sure. Real quick, as chapter two ends then, he focuses on the one people of God. And and that's what we would say. We are... Here's what I'm going to throw out a term at you, progressive dispensationalists. So we believe, as we've talked about, that there's a future for Israel, that God is not done with Israel, that right right now he is focused in this dispensation on the church, but one day he will call the church to be with him. That's the rapture. And then he will return his focus to Israel during that time, during the tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble. But in eternity, we believe that there's one people of God, that there are no longer two people. And we draw a lot of that from passages like Ephesians 2, that he's broken down the dividing wall of hostility, that there's one people now in place of the two, that he's reconciled us who were far off, that's us Gentiles, and those who are near, the Jews. And he's brought us both to himself. He's granted us both peace. We both now have access to the same God. And so we believe that the gospel, what it does, this Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, what that does now is for anybody and everyone, no matter who you are, where you are, it's going to yield and produce in eternity one people of God that are going to worship him and spend that time together. That's right. Wow, Ephesians 2 in like three minutes. We did it, though. We did it. We did it. Did you preach longer than that the other day? Uh, Like four or five minutes, probably. (laughs) 
All right. <laughs> hey, thanks for joining us again today for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. And we pray that you'll join us again tomorrow. Better be there. See you there. See ya. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast.